Bibles to Psalm 119. Read eight verses tonight. We're up to 137 to 144. And let's go ahead and read those. Pray for a lot of people out of town today. You make sure you keep them in your prayers. But let's go ahead and stand. Psalm 1, Psalm 119, 137 to 144. It says this, it says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal hath consumed me, because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I am small and despised, yet do not I forget thy precepts. The righteous is an everlasting righteous, and the law is the truth. Trouble and anguish... Have, have taken hold on me, yet, they, yet thy commandments are my delights. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. May we get something from these eight verses that will make us what we need to be this week. And Lord, I'm thankful for God's word that it'll come to us and it'll teach us. And I think of all these phrases of eight verses that we've looked at so far, how they reflect what your word is. May we get in your word. May we understand that you have something for us. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As you look at these, we're going to look at three things. That it's going to, there's three verses we're going to take the one a little bit further down. But the first two, I want you to look at these. And these are basically going to tell you what God's word is. And in the first one, it says this in, in Psalm 119, 137. It says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. I just want to point out some things to you about God's word. The first thing is that God is a righteous God. You know, you say, well, that's obvious, but you know what? There's a lot of, there's a lot of people that serve gods that are not righteous gods. I mean, if you think of the Indians and you think of all the, uh, over in India and you think of um, even some people here, Jehovah Witnesses and, and Mormons, what they believe, they don't have a righteous God. We have a righteous God and it says that. It says, righteous art thou, O Lord. But then he backs it up. He says, not only are you a righteous God, but he also says that your word's righteous because they go hand in hand. Um, I know there's some, uh, there's one denomination I, that I think of, I'm thinking it's the Mormons where they can update everything. Uh, whoever comes on the scene can update things. Our, our Bible's a living Bible, but it does not change. That's a great thing. Look at it one more time. It says this, it says, um, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. You know, we've got this right in, in here, and it's all righteous. There's nothing in here, there's not anything in here that's not meant to be. It's all supposed to be there. And God knew exactly what he was doing when he did it. And so we've got to look at this and we've got, we, we, we see this and we say, okay, now we know he's a righteous. We know his God's word is righteous. Now what does it, else does it say? In the next verse, it says what? It says, thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and are what? Faithful. What does this mean? Now this is, this is showing you that God's word is faithful. What does this mean? If you put this in a biblical application, it means when you need something, you can get it from this every time. It's not just going to be 10%. It's not going to be 50%. It's 100%. If you want to know, let's say you have somebody that has a problem with something, you can look it up in the Bible and it's going to be faithful and help you get somebody through a situation. It will help you get through a situation. Bitterness is one. I always think of bitterness because people get mad, get angry, and then they get bitter, Right? And the Bible always tells you that you're not supposed to do that. And who wants you to be a bitter person? Satan does. And then there's that verse that never give place to the devil. 
And when you give him the place, what's he going to do? He's going to take over it. You know, you, when you work with younger kids, you really see that. You know, they'll be tempted. It might be sports. It might be, it might be something at their school. It might be a hobby that they have that will just take over. It doesn't have to start something bad either. It can be something very good right off the bat. How many of you ever heard of 4-H? You probably heard it in this area. I was in 4-H when I was growing up, and it really wasn't a bad, bad thing to do. It's, a, it's changed a lot from where, where, when I was there. But you can use something, and, and Satan uses things that are good, to let us reflect and get away from the things that are better. So this verse says here, it says, Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. They're always on cue with what you need. Now it also says in this verse, it says, Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded. Now this kind of tells you when you're looking at God's word, it's not an option. You've got to follow them. Um, I know Brother Shoup's not here tonight, but um, if you were to ask him about military, you follow what the military tells you to do. Mike, I think if when you were in the military, if, if you said, no, I don't think I want to do that, I don't think that was an option. It was a command. And so here he's saying in this, it says, Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded. This is what he's given you. He's commanded you to follow him. And not only are they righteous, but they're faithful. They're always going to be true to what you need. How many times have you ever read your Bible and then all of a sudden it hits you, that's really what I needed today? There's a lot of times God will let me look at verses, and then when I look at the verses in retrospect, you, you, you see the, the future when you're going to go into it, and then all of a sudden what you read fits where you're going. You've got to understand that God's Word is a living Word, but it won't change. It's faithful. So let's drop down a few verses. Go to verse number 142, and here's some more things in here. These are the positive things about God's Word. And then we're going to talk about things that you deal with on a regular basis, because David deals with them also. Go to verse number 142. It says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. And it says, And thy law is the truth. Now, it's very important that you understand this. It's everlasting righteousness. It's not just righteous for right now, but it's righteous for tomorrow. It's righteous for the next week. It's righteous for a month. It's righteous for five years down the road, ten years down the road. It's also righteous all the way back to when time started. In man's perspective, God has always been righteous. It's an everlasting righteous. See, I understand everlasting in the future. I don't understand everlasting in the past. Because man had a start. I had a birthday. I know what my birthday was. That's when I started, and, and here, here I am now. I have a hard time comprehending that God was always there, but he was, because the, the Bible says that. And I believe it, but it's an everlasting righteousness. Not only that, and look at the last word, thy law is the truth. Truth is a hard word right now. You watch the news today? You can't figure out if who's lying, who's telling the truth. And you got one side and another side, and they both think they're right. And the only one that can sort this out is God and God himself. Amen? Have you, ever, have you just heard somebody just tell you something and you know it's not the truth? And, and they, they, they swear up and down that it is the truth? You know, this Bible is the truth. I mean, it is a science book, it's an English book, it's the problems that you have book, it's going to help you all the way through it. And it is, as the, as the verse says, it says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteous, and thy law is the truth. Now, David was a man just like anybody in here. 
or a lady that's anybody in here, you've got things that you have to deal with. Now, David's going to talk about some of these things in these verses. I don't know if you picked them up, but there's about five of them that, or four of them that I want you to see. Go back to 139. You know what David says? He had what? Enemies. Now, we both, we all know that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We don't. We, we, we're, we're wrestling with principalities and powers. And, God, and Satan wants to discourage you, do what he can to you. But you're going to have some enemies when it comes to this. They, and I want to say this to you with enemies. They can look at you as an enemy, but you should never look at them as an enemy. I think that's what Absalom and David's relationship was. David didn't look at Absalom as an enemy. David looked at Absalom as a son. But Absalom looked at David as an enemy because he had something that he wanted. And so that's why David, when Absalom was coming, he's going to let him have it. And, and when I say let him have it, that's not what we would do. We would let him have it, but it'd be a different way. And so here you have in this first verse, it says, my zeal hath consumed me. We've got to get back to realizing that no matter what happens around you, you can still have zeal, right? You can still have zeal. Um, it's, it's, it's funny when you, when you think this through. He says, my zeal hath consumed me because my enemies have forgotten thy word. He's almost saying, Daniel, that, hey, I didn't forget your word, but they forgot your word. And it's consuming me because I need to do what's right. And it doesn't matter what other people do. Remember hearing that when you were younger? I don't care if they're going. You're not going. I never understood my parents until I had my own child and I said, I don't care if everybody else is going, you're not going. And then I said, oh my word, I've turned into my, my father. I've turned into my mother. But it, it's saying you're going to have problems. There's going to be issues in your life. And he says, my zeal, this is the thing that makes me who I am. And I've got, to, I've got to work past those problems because there's always going to be problems. and You're always going to have someone that doesn't like you. I, I am just enamored by, and, I, and I, I've watched probably three or four of his services. I watched Joel Olstein to see if he'll say anything that's bad. Have you ever tried to speak for an hour and not say anything bad? Where you, you don't offend 10,000 people? It's kind of hard to do, but he does it every week. And he just sidesteps everything. But in this, he says, listen, my zeal hath consumed me because my enemies have forgotten my words. I am not going to let this die. I am going to move forward no matter what happens. So you're going to have some enemies. Look at the next one. You've got to look at your position. Again, he says this. This is found 13 times in this book. And it says in verse number 140, it says, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Why do you love God's word? Why should people love God's word? It's pure. What does that mean? There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I can read, how many times have you ever read a book and found a typo in it? Doesn't that really irritate you? <laughs> I, I hate, I'll read something like a, on Fox News or something and I'll read it and there's a typo and I, I just can't get past the typo. I want to I wanna call them. To, I, I can, Kathy, you understand what I'm talking about? Okay. Um, and, and so typos bother me. But. I don't know if you ever had the privilege of writing a book. When my wife wrote the book, wrote her book, I don't know how many times it was proofread. Seven or eight times. And every time they would read it, we'd find something else. And there's different types of proofreading. 
You think, oh, it's just grammatical. No, there's it's the thought process. It doesn't make sense when people read it. Is it, is it grammatically correct? And you just go through this. And when you fix one of them, sometimes you'll mess the other one up. And I don't like to correct people, but as, as it, when I'm looking at the, the Bible, the Bible's pure. There's no mistakes in it. You know, you can look at it and you can figure out timelines throughout the Bible. You can, you can figure out historical events throughout the Bible. You can find out where the Assyrian Empire... Do you know why Jonah did not like to go to Nineveh? Because it was a capital Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire was a brutal empire. Do some history on what the Assyrian Empire was. They were brutal. That's why he didn't want to go there. It's, it's 100% correct. Then go to Jonah and you'll figure out something else. You know what else he knows that God knew before anybody else did? That there are mountain ridges in the water. Because when you read Jonah, you'll see that he's in the well and he'll talk about being in the mountains. I mean, who knew there were mountains under the water? We know it now because the Bible's pure. You know, you can look and you can see all these different things. There's a verse in the Bible that talks about Gog and Magog. Do you know what that is? If you go back and find it, it says Gog and Magog will be reunited. Do you know what Gog and Magog are? It's called Germany. I mean, you just look at the historical events, and then God knew exactly what he was doing. The, the Noah's Ark, where, where did it land at? It landed in an area that you really can't get to. You can't get to it because of the, the geographic area, the geographic challenge, but you can't get there also because of the countries that, that are there. They don't want you to get there. And they say sometimes they can see pictures of it. They can see it. But God knew exactly what he was doing. Can you imagine if it was where everybody could pick at it? Well, this really isn't the... Can you imagine the debates you'd have? But God's Word is pure. Everything is accurate. Even our calendar dates back to Christ. So we have God's pure Word in there. But, you know, you're still going to have some problems when, when you deal with this. Go, go back to this verse. It says this. It says... It, it, the, the key to this thing in this is it says, Thy Word is very pure... Therefore, thy servant loveth it. That's why you should love it, because it's correct. But you should love it in the servant spirit. And we, we kind of talked about this before, but David was a king, but referred to himself as a servant. You don't see that very often. It's just not common sense to do that. You're not going to see a king say, I'm a servant. But David was that kind of man. David understood that his kingdom was not his. It was God's. He understood that the battles were not his, they were God's. Every aspect in David's life was it wasn't mine, it's yours. And the one mistake that he made, he was in the wrong place, looked at the wrong thing, and took the wrong, he took the wrong person, and then he tried to cover it up because it was, that was not in God's setting. But it showed us that David was a man just like us. He made a mistake. And he had to deal with it the rest of his life. But in this, he's saying, I am a servant. What's the definition of servant when you think of it? When you think of the word servant, most people think of a butler or a maid. Chauffeur, maybe. But the servants back in biblical times didn't dress like those three guys I was just telling you about. Three people I just told you about. They're, they're going to dress. They're going to be worn out. They're going to be tired. And what does a servant do? You don't, there's, 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 when you look at the aspect of a servant, this is what God wants us to be. And David's saying, listen, I love God's word because I'm a servant. Go to that verse. It says, thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. 
He loved it. He loved being a servant and he loved God's word because it was, it was totally accurate 100% of the time. So then he says this next statement. If you go to the next verse, you ever felt like this? Look at verse number 141. I am small and despised. Do you realize how many, when you're sitting where David was, do you realize how many people wanted to take his position? You just realize how many people wanted to knock him off that throne. And when he comes on the scene, Hat and Israel gone back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he probably felt very small and despised. And there were always people that did not like him. And so can we not relate to that? Is there someone that you don't like? You, you think, man, they're small and despised. I look at it and I think, man, David is telling, telling everybody that although he's the greatest person in this world at this particular time, he still realizes that he's small and despised. Where does he get the word small? I think it's his reaction to who he is and who God is. But he also is reacting to what people are saying about him. So I think his emotions getting the best of him on this one. He says, listen, I am small and despised. But how do you get over that small and despised? I remember a person that I, that I had on my staff that played basketball with me in college and um, came and worked for me, and he was a very short man. And he had what I called um, short man syndrome. And he had to make him seem bigger than, than what he really was. And I remember him telling stories about him playing college basketball, and I was like, I was on that team, I don't remember these stories. And, and he just would he would inflate everything to make himself look better. And when you have to do that, guess what? You're going the wrong direction. You've got to remember what you tell people. And, and, and David is sitting here and he's going, I am small and despised. But then he says this, although I am small and despised, whether if you, it's the perspective of what, what I look to towards God or the respect, the respect of what people are saying to me, he says the word yet. And he's, it's the word what we would use sometimes as but. He says, yet, do not I forget thy precepts. When you are down, the worst thing you can do is reject what God's word says. When you have a, a, a notion in your mind that you're small and despised, you better go back and reflect on what God really is and what his precepts are saying. He's already said in previous verses, what? That God is righteous, His Word is righteous, He is a faithful God, and later on He'll say that it's an everlasting righteousness and there's truth in it. So He's got to go back. It's, it's just the matter of His character at this point. He's saying, listen, I might be at this low state in my life, but He's saying, I might be low, but here's where I am. I'm not going to forget thy precepts. I can't tell you how many times I, I've talked to somebody and all of a sudden verses come back to me that I didn't even really knew I knew. I knew a little bit about them, and then all of a sudden I'd quote them. Well, what do you think about this verse? What do you think about that verse? But when you get to this point where you feel like, oh, I, I shouldn't be here. I'll tell you, if you feel like you shouldn't go to church, that's probably the best time you should go to church. Right? I mean, how many times do you feel like people are supposed to be in church and, and a preacher's going to get up and say something, and then all of a sudden it's going to, it, oh, that'd be great for so-and-so. Don't buy them a CD and give it to them. That's not going to help them, okay? All right? What we've got to go back to understanding is that God wants us to be in His Word 
and he wants us to accept his word. And when you get to that low esteem, go back to it. Anybody have any hard things that happen at your work? You go, I just don't know, I just know how much I can take, about, take with this. I just don't know if I can do this anymore. I just don't like that boss. Have you ever said that in your mind? Did that just make you want to get in God's word? Well, David's saying it should. Because what is your ultimate goal in, li goal in life? It's called eternity. And in retrospect, if Satan can get you discouraged about a situation, he will do it. He'll pay the price of whatever he has to pay. He'll do that. But what you've got to go back to is saying, okay, when I go through these things and I have these issues in my life, I need to fall into something that is true, pure, righteous, faithful, and that's God's word. So don't, don't consider yourself out at that point. Move yourself forward. That's why I think he was a man of, the man of war. He was a soldier because he understood you've got to press forward. You've still got to do that. And then he says in the next verse, it says this. Now, this is sometimes your life. Trouble and anguish. <laughs> he, he's, listen to these words he says. Mine enemies, I'm a servant, I'm small and despised. And then in verse number 143, he says, trouble and anguish have what? Taken hold on me. You ever feel like your emotions go up and down? This is David. Can you imagine being a king in David's times? See, right now we live in a world where we can get information just instant. David didn't have that. I think one of the biggest things that someone ever asked, was asking the Bible to do was the story of Joseph. When he was asked by Pharaoh to take over, be second in the kingdom, and, ra and save all this food so that everybody would survive. And not only Egypt would survive, all the other countries would survive because of him. Now, I don't know about you, but some of you hire people in your positions where you're at. But I don't think Joseph had that in his background. Oh yeah, I know how to save food. Now think about that. Here he's been in, in jail, and now he's asked to save all this, all this food. How do you do that? That's not in his resume. It's not in his portfolio. And he has to figure out how to do this. Now, you know what's amazing about that whole story? How long did it take Pharaoh to realize that what, Dave, what Joseph said was true? I can tell you how long. Seven years. So here's a man that they've just shaven, brought him up from prison, bring him up. They have to clean him up, put him in front of Pharaoh. He tells the dream. Pharaoh goes... There's no man like that except you. What? And I, if, if I was, if I was um, Joseph, I'd be going, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I, we need to reconsider this thing. And then all of a sudden, it's thrown on him, and he has to do it. And when he does this, he fulfills what he told he, he saw in his dream to his brothers because of this. But it wasn't an easy task. Can you imagine trying to, we have a hard time keeping fruit at our house for, for two weeks. 
Can you imagine what it would be to have grain stored and all these things? And then when the famine hit, do you not think people were trying to go in and take all these things? He had to have, it it wasn't just as simple as, hey, let's make a little farmer's market and everything's going to be okay. He had to build these barns. And then when the problems came, I guarantee you he had guards around that food. And they would come in and they'd be, now now he's not only food, food, he's doing security. And he's also probably doing one other thing too, rationing out. How much do you need? What's your weight? Do you need to lose weight? Let's get it down. Okay, how many kids do you have in your family? Get rid of three of them and I'll give you enough food for everybody else. I mean, he has to do all these things. And everybody's asking him. So it was a major task what he had to do. But when you look at the the story of this, sometimes we look at some things that they get. We're going to have some troubles. We just think, oh man, these guys had it easy. They didn't have it easy. That's what I do. I read the story and and the story is like two pages and it tells me what they went through, but we don't realize what the battles they went through. We don't realize the things they went through. And here David is saying, when he says this, he says, trouble and anguish have taken hold on me. What does this mean? They've wrapped their tentacles around him and said, hey, you can't survive Because you are David, you're just a man. But watch what he says. He says, they've taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delight. Here he's saying, when you get down in this stuff, you can bring yourself up if you just realize that God's word is true, it is pure, it is honest, it's everlasting, even through your problems. And don't think for one second a king did not have problems. He had many problems. And so it says, thy commandments are my delight. What is your delight? What does that mean? Something you enjoy. When I think of food, there's one thing I always think of when I think of delight. How many of you ever had a peanut butter parfait? Oh, that's incredible. Fudge and vanilla and peanuts. and Let's close with a word of prayer. Um, no, I mean, I, 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 I love that stuff. And I always tell them to put extra fudge on mine, and I want it hot where it melts some of the ice cream. That's what I delight in. Or Krispy Kreme donut. Amen? As, as you look at this, what are you delighting? He says, listen, when he goes through troubles and he goes through trials and he has these problems, he said his delight is not in food. His delight is not in his family. His delight is not in what we would consider maybe good things. He, his delight is in God's Word. It was the only thing that could soothe him. Now wait, let's think about David. Who was the king before David? Saul. He says his delight's in his Word. What did Saul do numerous times? He brought David in to play instruments to soothe his soul. Did it work? No. Music will only take you so far. But then you had David coming on the scene. He says, listen, I'm not going to have a musician come in like the previous guy because he probably remembered what that guy did. He lived many, many years trying to follow, get away from him. He said, that music is not going to take you as far as what this Bible is going to take you. His delight was in, his, in the Word. His delight was in the law. And so here we have... Mine enemies, a servant, small and despised, troubled and anguished, but his delight was where it needed to be. And he wraps it up, and I like how he wraps it up because he brings it back to a positive note. 
He says, I've gone through all these. I have enemies. I'm small and despised. I have trouble and anguish. But in verse 144, the righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. He's saying, God's word is forever, and it's exactly what I need. It's the delight in the previous verse, and now it's everlasting. And then I, I, I like the next part, what he says. He says, give me understanding. Do you understand everything that's in here? You know, I, I through, go through commentaries. I go through the Greek. I go through the Hebrew. And some of, sometimes it doesn't, doesn't even help. And I just go, I don't understand it. But you know why I like that? Because God's way higher than I am. Amen. We can get discouraged. It's like, oh, my word. I just don't understand. There are some verses that I don't understand. I read it and go, what, what's going on with this? But here he's saying, in this verse he says, give me understanding. He'll give you what you need. Sometimes you don't need everything you think. Remember when you were a child and you said, I need this, I need that? <laughs> Did you really need it? No. But God knows exactly what you need and he says, listen, if you, ask for, if you ask for understanding in a situation, my God is not, and your God is not this God that's going to say, okay, I'm not going to help you through it. I'm going to help you through it. And remember what he's asking for understanding. He's already said he's had, he has enemies. He's already said he has troubles. He already says he's small and despised. And one of the greatest men to ever walk the face of the earth. He says, but you know when it comes right down to it, I'm going to understand this and I need God, I need your help through this. Now, when he's saying understanding, he's talking about first five verse, chapters of the Bible, first five books of the Bible. And they're writing some of these as go. We've got the whole Bible. He didn't have the Apostle Paul explaining things. He didn't have Christ explaining things. But he needed understanding. Why did he need understanding? Look at the last part of the verse. He needed understanding because he wanted to live. He needed that understanding because he wanted to live. He wanted that life. It says, give me understanding and I shall live. Isn't that great? God's word gives us understanding and we live through it. I'm so thankful that when we look at some of these verses, we see God's word. In fact, the rest of the way, the rest of the chapters, you've got one, two, three, four, four more sections and all of them point back to God's word, every verse. Every verse here. Let's look at this. Go to, go to Psalm 119, 137. It ends with thy commandments, uh, thy judgments in 137. 138, thy testimonies. 139, thy word. 140, thy word. 141, thy precepts. 142, thy law. 143, thy commandments. And 144, thy testimonies. It's all about this book you hold in your hand. When you have problems, go to it. He'll give you understanding and he'll make you live.